bitch, I'm dead fresh. I might pull up in a casket. Hey, come on, like bro. Fruit basket. Spit a couple raps. I get a check of Johnny Cash. Should I smash it? I'll let you mom. Remember, guys, don't take us too seriously. We're just some bros being dudes talking sports. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Bros Being Dudes Talking Sports. As always, I say it every time. We have an exciting show for you guys today. Hopefully, we'll keep it light. We'll keep it entertaining. We did have a jam-packed weekend. A couple disappointing things took place in the sports world. I wasn't overly thrilled about my weekend. My wallet really wasn't overly thrilled about this weekend. But you know what? That's all right. Let's just jump right into it. Um, well, first of all, GTD, how was your weekend? Did you have a good time this weekend? Yeah, it was good. Always, always nice on Championship Sunday. Oh, always, always. Is it now? Is Championship Sunday in some respect better than the Super Bowl? I don't know. Uh, the games themselves, maybe, just because you you have an option at who goes, and you see two different matchups. First off, especially in the same division, interdivision or interconference rivals, should I say? Um, I think the Super Bowl may take the cake, though, just because of uh, the acceptance of having a drink in your hand at all times, eating chicken wings probably simultaneously, probably does the trick for me. Well, movie, I, I have – okay, so, like, when it comes to, like, the best sporting events, I'm going to say that every weekend leading up to the Super Bowl is arguably better than the Super Bowl. Like, I like wild card <clears throat> round better than the Super Bowl. I like the oh, divisional yeah. Super Bowl, I like conference championship better than the Super Bowl. Like, well, I, I think the one thing that comes of that though is there's more games. And and granted, I'm not. People know I'm not a huge college basketball fan, but March Madness is one of the best tournaments to ever exist in my mind. Just because you have the one and done with 64 teams, and plus I'm a gambler, and you know bracket pools are fun as hell. To me, that's one of the best, and that's why you just got so many teams. See, I, th I, I am, I know I'm on a hill by myself on this one. Well, I've talked about it a hundred times. Maybe the first time today on the podcast. March Madness is fine. It's 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 fun to watch, but it is so overrated as far as like. I don't think it's the best sporting event. I, I I just got done saying that I like all the three weekends in the NFL playoffs better than the Super Bowl. I like the Super Bowl better than March Madness. If I wasn't betting on brackets, I probably wouldn't like it as much. But and I, I love college basketball. Like, I, I, I enjoy it. I just don't think it's as fun to watch. Like now, if they did it with just the top 32 teams, I think it'd be a lot more fun. Because, yeah, those upsets are cool when they happen. But then in the next round, you get a blowout. Like you get Mary St. Louis Sisters of the Blind playing Duke. And just Duke just rails them the next round. You know what I mean? Like that That's not enjoyable. But I digress. Um but no, let's jump into to the news. That was a good little discussion off the top. I like that. So let's jump into some news real quick. We'll, we'll get us going uh, back on track. Uh, starting in the MLB, the Phillies inked their superstar, uh, Real Muto, to a five-year deal. Uh, so they've had some, some salary issues. They wanted to get under that luxury tax. They do that, uh, but they are able to retain their superstar. So huge move for them going forward. Um, I honestly understand the move, but... The Phillies are not really going to ever be in contention, I don't think. Like, they scared no one in the NL. Uh, I don't even think they're even close to being the best team in their division. Uh, so, move makes sense, but doesn't get the needle moving nationally. Um, same 
in the same sentence, uh, the Yanks uh, made a trade for Pirates pitcher uh, Jamison Talian. Uh, I, I honestly like the move. He's reunited with Garrett Cole. Um, they The Yankees actually also traded Adam Ottavino to the Red Sox. Now, when the Yankees and the Red Sox make a deal, usually it's someone from the Red Sox being traded to the Yankees. Flip the script here. I think this is a huge, huge um, forecast of things to come for the Yankees because they don't make that deal if they're not trying to free up some space to get under the luxury tax. And the Yankees don't really care about being under the luxury tax. So I think that something huge is coming. Um, something huge did happen this past weekend as well. Uh, Hank Aaron, uh, former home run leader, uh, all-time great, um, he passed away. So obviously we would like to send our condolences to the Aaron family and really the baseball family. Like that's a huge loss. Hank Aaron will be, will be sorely missed. Um, he's been a huge name, um, obviously for, for decades at this point. Uh, let's jump into some NBA talk now. Um, that big trade that happened a couple weeks ago with the Nets and the Pacers, they swapped James Harden and some picks uh, and the Rockets, of course. Um, well, one of the players involved in that, Chris Levert, he just had his cancer surgery today. So after the trade in his physical, they found a cancerous mass, uh, I believe on his liver. Um, so he had his surgery today. Uh, he is expected to make a full recovery for that. So obviously we'd like to expect, uh, extend some thoughts and prayers to, to him as well and his family. Uh, also thoughts and prayers to uh, Timmy Hardaway Jr. You see this last night, GTD? He got punched in the dick by Jamal Murray at the end of the game. Like just straight up standing there, Jamal Murray punched him right in the cock. <laughs> like, I, thought, I, <clears throat> I thought she was going to. When you was leading up to that, I thought you were gonna say my wallet again, and you felt like you got punched in the dick. Nah, no, no, not not a big better on the NBA. I don't know enough about it to to <clears throat> money around, but I do know enough about getting hit in the dick, and it's not enjoyable. So again, we're gonna stay on this like this trend of I- issuing thoughts and prayers to people. Thoughts and prayers to Timmy Hardaway and his dick, because I'm sure that it does not feel good to get hit in the dick in the middle of a game with millions of people watching. So, T's and P's. Um, Andrew Wiggins pulled his dick out against the Warriors, and or I mean, excuse me, against the Timberwolves. Jeez. And the Warriors. <laughs> There's a law against it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, public indecency. I ever heard of it. Um <laughs> Well, Andrew Wiggins absolutely pulled his dick out and was like, yeah, you want to trade me? Here's why you don't. He showed them, he showed his former team, the Timberwolves, um, why he should still be in Minnesota. I, I always like those stories where, like, you play against your former team and you just dominate them. I think that's always interesting to see. Kind of kind of like LeBron against the Cavs. Yeah, LeBron dropping 46 against the Cavs. And then um, – was his name Dan Gilbert, right? The owner. Yeah. He said that there was some kind of home cooking with the refs giving LeBron like the last second um, opportunity or last second possession. Like, bro, what yeah, are you that explains about? that. That, that explains the other forty, the other forty-four points. Yeah, like you, you just gotta relax. Is Dan Gilbert one of the worst owners in all of sports? I think it's I close. I think there's a lot of bad owners, honestly, and, and that's shocking. It, in organ in a business so highly sought after and so highly um I, I don't know how to explain it. It there's like so Luke many more bad like owners than GMs. Right. Then you would ex, then you would expect. Right. 
And I don't know, I honestly don't know if that comes down to like the money game, like they, that's all they know, or the numbers, and they don't know the and they don't know how people work. It's or... definitely part of it. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely part of it. One thing that definitely like is interesting in that regard is if you look, the most successful owners <clears throat> usually are the ones that just put people in place to make important decisions for them revol- or like regarding the roster. The ones who aren't successful, Jerry, you know, he he wants to have his say in who's actually playing for his team, which in some respect I understand because mm-hmm. if you're going to yeah. pay the bill, you want to make sure you get good groceries with the bill. You know what I mean? So like in I, some ways I understand it. I think but, at the same time too it's important to to understand that just because you own the team doesn't mean you know how to make the team. Right. That's exactly right. Like Robert Kraft, like say what you will. Obviously I'm a little bit biased because he's the Pat's owner, but like objectively speaking, he is one of the best owners in all of sports. Like with what he's done and giving the power to Bill, one of the greatest football minds there has been, like that's what happens when you do that. You are rewarded. Now maybe you're not going to be rewarded in that sense with six titles, but the owners that step back and let their coaches do the coaching. Another good example in sticking with football is the Hunt family. The Hunt family is one of the best at that as well, and that's why the Chiefs have had success. You look at the Chiefs are like that. The Giants with the Maras are like that. The Steelers with the Roonies are like that. And you notice that these are the teams that don't just have like random spurts of success where they catch lightning in a bottle. They have long-standing success throughout decades. We're on to something here. Which, honestly, though, I know the success thing is is a measurement, for, and it will always be a measurement. But as an ownership measurement, I think there's a lot that goes into that. And I think that's more so of what comes out of your own building. Like, what people can say about ownership out of, out of the building. You catch them outside in a restaurant or something, and you start talking. And the praises that they can sing, I think, are the biggest measurement that you find in ownership. Yeah. Now... The measurement that we make in ownership, of course, is what we see. And what we see is the product on the field and the happiness that that goes around from the media, from what other people say. But I don't know. There's a lot that goes into that. But, yeah, I I just feel like there's a lot of bad owners in in an industry where, as far as people go, there shouldn't be that many. Right. Like, that's what, like... And let's just talk on like bad owners and people who only care about the business side. Don't get me wrong. I think Jerry cares about winning like extremely. That's all on the forefront of like his mind. But I think he is he's too caught up in also making money and not like putting as much into the product and getting it back. You know what I mean? Same with James Dolan, James Dolan and the Knicks. He does not care what the product is on the floor. He just wants well, to make money, which I've, is crazy because money follows winning. If I, had to, if I had to pick the worst owner that I know of, honestly, right now, it'd be Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder is definitely one of them. It, I would say of the four of the four major leagues, so obviously you got the NFL, MLB, NHL, and uh, NBA – I would say in the NBA, it's pretty far and away James Dolan. I don't know if there's much of an argument. In the NFL, Dan Schneider is probably alone in that category as well. In the NBA, you're probably looking at like, see, people want to say Mark Cuban. I 
Mark Cuban. I, I think Mark Cuban's a very good owner. Yeah, I don't think Mark Cuban's a bad owner. I don't either. I think he's a good. I honestly do. I think he. Everyone that comes through and plays for Mark Cuban loves Mark Cuban. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm gonna stick with James Dolan in the NBA for sure. I think he's head and shoulders worse than everyone else. And the NHL, that's the one where I don't think there's a lot of bad ownership groups. Like in the NHL, a lot of owners step back and let their GMs and head coaches make every decision. Like it's well, okay, I say that the Red Sox ownership group and the Bruins ownership group, they're both terrible. Like obviously I flip back and forth with sports, but both like renowned they're they're bad owners. So I would say actually both of them. I don't know their names off the top of my head, but like they just they just made the sizes of seats like in between rows and TD Garden for the Bruins. They drop they dropped that down by I think like eight inches or something. So now when you're sitting there, your knees are in the back of the person in front of you in an arena style seating. Like that's wild. Hey, that's just gotta, ridiculous. Got to got to get them extra that extra ticket money in there. For that, you that's to exactly what it is. Purple. So they can get another row. That's wild to me. And then the Red Sox ownership group to get under the luxury tax, they trade away a top five player in all of baseball. That's crazy. If I was a Red Sox fan, I'd absolutely lose my mind. Like I'd be fighting mad, especially because you you it's one of the most five profitable baseball organizations. So it's not like they're hurting. <clears throat> I, I, like I said, I'd be fighting mad. But speaking of fighting, we have to talk about UFC 257. What a, what an awesome card this was. I mean, from top to bottom, this card did not disappoint at all. As a Connor fan, the card disappointed at the end because I was like, what the hell? And also, shouts out to ESPN, paid for a fight, <clears throat> didn't have to watch it because your whole streaming site was down. That's garbage. Like, that's terrible. So, ESPN Plus. You're on the shit list, for sure. Do you have any problems watching it, Don? I did not. Well, that must be nice. Must be nice. But anyway, let's start with this card. I mean, Connor got knocked out. I mean, if you would have put a gun to my head and made me guess the result of this one, I wouldn't have guessed this in a thousand tries because Connor has never been knocked out. He's been submitted, but he's never been knocked out. So, I mean, all credit to Poirier for sure. I mean, he just fought a better fight. He he caught him off guard with the leg kick. He, Connor even said in his post-fight interview, he said, the leg kick got me. I had never seen that before. I was dazed. I was hurt. And then he started feeding him body shots and obviously knocked him out with a couple big blows to the face. That combo that, that Poirier landed to end the fight, as a fighting fan, that was one of the cleanest um, sequences I've seen in a long time. Like That was that was fun to watch. That was, that was really sweet. Um, I mean, yeah, it was... Going back to the last pod where we, you know, kind of talked about what we thought was going to happen. <clears throat> of course, whenever I hear the name Conor McGregor, I automatically am like, he can't be beat. Like, it's right. just one of the things that comes to my mind. And I did mention, though, on it, that being out of the game, well, I call it the game, but being out of the octagon for an extended period of time tends to have some repercussions. Yep. And I didn't think it was going to play a huge role. Yeah. I still thought Connor was going to win the fight. But we've seen, first and foremost, that it did actually have a little bit greater uh, repercussions than what one may have thought. Um, he just looked he just looked different. And even he acknowledged that after the fight, too. And I, I forget exactly how the quote went, but he was like, 
Um, it was something uh, you can't you can't take you can't take an extended time off in this league and still be successful for something like that. Yeah. And he was right. And, I, and honestly, I have more respect for Connor now than I probably ever had, just for the simple fact that he admitted he got his ass beat. And he did. Well, the one thing the one thing I will say about Connor this whole fight <laughs> prep is I think he's turned a corner after that Habib loss that now he's not into all the antics and all the disrespect. He is, he was very respectful to Poirier throughout the whole thing. He was very respectful to Cowboy Cerrone in his last fight before this. And now even in defeat, this is the first time we've seen Connor when he's lost, say, look, it just wasn't my night. I got picked apart. I am 100% at fault. Poirier, you, did a, you had an amazing fight. And that was it. He didn't have any antics to go with it. And honestly, the maturity is is very big and we say that that's how 99 percent of fighters are right but yeah. with connor he wasn't like that so to see that growth it's like we're giving him a an attaboy for something he should have already been doing but you know nonetheless um, i think beforehand though not doing it i think it was just a chip on his shoulder i mean everyone knows the story or yeah. I, at least i would think most know the story of where he came from you know what was he a plumber at one point I think uh, so, yeah. Literally starts training, was poor as could be. Um, he's expressed that multiple times. I think it was the chip on the shoulder that kind of was like, I won't be stopped until I reach the top. And now that he got to the top, it's like, okay, I'm here. It's time to kind of. The, the one thing that I hate more than anything about this result, like I'm a, I'm a Conor McGregor stand, and most Conor McGregor stands, <clears throat> people who don't really care about the sport they just get into it because of him but i love ufc and i love connor like it, it, connor's just my guy the one thing that i have hated the most from this whole thing post fight is now jake paul has so much ammunition to throw at him like his post fight reaction when he said i got ten thousand dollars for you cash bro that drove like I, I there's not a more punchable face in the world and I hate that we're even talking about him because I hate giving him any amount of clout, but it's not like me giving talking about him is like raising his net worth or anything. But I just he's just the most annoying person on the face of the earth. Yeah, he is. I hate him. I hate the I hate the Paul brothers. And I mean, you're talking about a guy that probably can't fight his way of a paper bag in me, but I'd like to give him a shot. I'd like to try and knock his ass out at least. I mean, he just frustrates oh, the hell out of me. Right. I would absolutely love to. I mean, I put a I put a hurting on that brick wall this this past weekend. <laughs> so if I ever saw Jake Paul, I feel like I'd want to give him a go too. At least I would then love. Go. I would give anything though to see Connor just absolutely mollywop his ass. Why, if if Jake wasn't such a pussy and they just go into a UFC fight, like. Make it to where there's no wrestling, but don't make it just a boxing match. Like boxing is the. Bo I'm just saying everything's is legal worst. as long as you're on your feet. Right, exactly. Boxing is the worst sport. Boxing is so boring because one, the the punches feel like it it doesn't really hurt that much. You're wearing big pillows on your hands. Yeah, I mean, what are we doing? Are we are we basically saying we want to see a kickboxing match between essentially, Jake Paul essentially, and Conor McGregor? Give me kickboxing. Now, what I really want to see happen is I want him to smart off to Dylan Dennis, who is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. You know how hard it is to be a, 
a black belt in the sport of jujitsu or the mixed martial art of jujitsu, it takes most people 10 plus years to master the, the craft that is jujitsu. Dylan Danis got his in eight years. BJ Penn has his, he is the fastest recorded black belt in history. He got his black belt in four years. That is unheard of. That is unheard of. I want I want the Logan brothers to smart off to Dylan Danis and not run away like little bitches throwing toilet paper. I want that to happen, Don. That'd be beautiful. Was that who um, he was throwing that at? The, yeah, the video Dylan, I seen them in the in the truck or something? Yeah, Dylan Danis. He's part of that whole uh, Kavanaugh camp. So Kavanaugh is like the head trainer, and then McGregor is like his most notable um, trainee, I guess you could call it. Well, Dylan Danis is part of that same camp. He's like a wrestling jujitsu specialist. Like his striking isn't terrible, but it's not good enough to get him like in the mainstream. Yeah. His his wrestling is like no joke. I'm not gonna compare him to Habib, but that would be probably the closest comparison as far as just wrestling. Like he is he is a world class wrestler. Um, speaking of Habib, the one thing that this fight does, I think, this solidifies he is not coming back. Because the money for a Poirier-Habib fight is not what it would be for a a Habib-McGregor fight. And I don't think it's going to be enough to get him out of retirement. I just don't. I mean, that's just that. uh, Unless he just literally just misses the sport itself too much. Yeah, but I don't. He said that he's not going to fight without his dad. And I think the only way that was going to happen is if he saw a check with essentially unlimited zeros. Because if he's getting any amount of percentage of a pay-per-view and the pay-per-view is Habib v. McGregor 2, the zeros on that check might go on forever. Yeah. Which at the same time, man, you know, well, we we seen him fight how long ago? That was just an awesome. I think, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say four or five months ago, yeah. maybe a little longer. But uh, I mean, it's early in his retirement, man. But right now, he thinks like I don't want to do it without my my father. But here in a little bit, he may be like, well, maybe he wants would want me to continue. That well, that's the thing. His goal was always thirty and zero, and he promised his dad that he will get to thirty and zero. But then he promised his mom that he would not fight again without his dad. So that's where it's like, I wonder which takes precedent in his mind. You know what I mean? Like which which one takes priority? Like they say, man. The only thing the only thing I would say with Habib is never say never. The old mantra, and I think that's one thing that you just never know. Never know. That's fair. Um, the the last thing I want to touch on from this card, and this will probably be quick because I don't know. Did you watch any of that Michael Chandler fight? He was the I, fight I, for McGregor. Yeah, I what I think I only watched outside the McGregor. I only watched one or two, and it'd be honest with you, I'm spotty with the name. So, but yeah, I did. I know for a fact I watched the Chandler. I'm, I didn't pay attention to it as much, but right. So my my one takeaway for, from from Michael Chandler fight <clears throat> is Michael Chandler is a dangerous, dangerous man. He dominated Bellator when he was in Bellator, and now he finally got the call up to the UFC, signed the contract. He's now in the company for a while. This man is going to dominate the UFC. He is he is going to be a belt holder in the UFC within the next two years. I will guarantee you that. He absolutely dominated this fight in every aspect. I mean, took the fight right to him. I mean, this is just... This was just a clinic. I mean, when we talk about like a striking clinic, you talk about Adesanya versus Costa, um, Usman versus um, 
Masvidal was a clinic. I mean, he he basically just held him the whole time, but it was a dominant performance. This Chandler performance was I'm I'm honestly struggling to find one where I'm like, yeah, that was pretty close. This was just ridiculous. I mean, he handled him in every single way. Like credit to him. I mean, he landed dude, <laughs> he landed 17 punches in the first round. 17 punches. I mean, that's just, he just absolutely ate him to shreds. Uh, I mean, I say that Max Holloway just had one of the best striking, literally the best striking performance of all time a couple weeks ago. But, but anyway, um, no, Michael Chandler, remember the name. He is going to be an absolute force moving forward. But, um, all right, let's talk about three stories in the NHL real quick. I'm not going to get too into it uh, because we do have a new hockey podcast dropping this week. It's going to be hosted by yours truly. Uh, It'll be once a week. I'll give you all my gambling lines, all the latest news. Um, So look for that. That'll actually drop uh, tomorrow if you're listening. So this is, this is Wednesday. It'll drop on Thursday morning. So make sure you guys are, are, Stay tuned uh, for that. Get you up to date on all your hockey news. But we'll touch on some small, on some, well, not small, but on some major storylines right here. Um, so Stahl is back at practice for the Canes. It's going to be a huge addition for them. They've been struggling here lately. This will help spark them, get a veteran pre- presence back. Uh, conversely, Jamie Benn for the for the Stars, uh, he misses practice after getting hurt, I believe, last Friday. Uh, so that's going to be a huge loss for them, losing their captain like that. Um, hopefully he'll be back soon. Timetable is not, uh, not determined as of yet. Still waiting some evaluation. Um, in the last story, this is the biggest story. Um, the, the Blue Jackets trade Pierre Dubois, uh, for Patrick Laine. Uh, so the Jets lose their disgruntled star. The Blue Jackets lose their disgruntled star. I think this is going to be a case of a new scenery is going to rejuvenate both of these guys' careers because, both of them are absolutely phenomenal players, and now they are getting a change of scenery. Uh, it should be should mean big things for both of them. So we'll, we'll keep you updated on that. But I'm I'm really excited about that, and I'm sure Chan is too, resident uh, Blue Jackets fan. Um, in college football, Doug Marone he joins the Bama coaching staff. So Don, I mean, we've talked about it before. This is just another example of the rich get richer. Doug Marone is on uh, Alabama coaching staff. He does not even. He's not the OC. Pretty sure he's just freaking offensive line coach. He he is. That's insane. Which is which is which is about probably where it needs to be, in my opinion. I mean, come on. He had success in, in Jacksonville for, what, first couple years? He just reminds me of a, the classic offensive line coach, though. So. You think so? Yeah, just uh, fucking probably eat. He could probably scarf down 12 hot dogs fully loaded with chili and slaw on them and drink a drink a good Bud Diesel. He just reminds me of that type of coach. So so you're saying that I'm Doug Marone? I mean, what, what are you saying? I mean, what are you saying? <laughs> I mean, if the shoe fits. No, <laughs> Me and Doug Marone, same person, according to GTD. <laughs> no, I'm I'm glad. I don't know. I wish he'd have stayed in Jacksonville, though. Yeah, I wish I him, Bill O'Brien. Wish they'd have both stayed. I'm, I bet you do. Uh, but let's jump into it, man. We got all the NFL news that you guys need right here. Obviously, championship weekend was a doozy. But first of all. Let's jump in to some some breaking news in the NFL. Um, 
we're all interested to see where the quarterback carousel lands us at this year. Add one team to that list. Add the Rams to the list of teams that are going to be interested in free agent slash traded for quarterbacks because the Rams GM came out today and said he won't speculate on Jared Goff's future. Don, do you take this as a, as like they're just done with Goff? Because if they're publicly saying this, I think Goff is – like I, I don't think there's a chance for him to stay. They're, I think they want to be done with Goff. I mean, financially, they can't be done with Goff. They signed him to a four-year, I think, like 132 and 19. Like, dude, I would hate to see, which honestly, I could pull it up real quick. What his cap hit would be. If I they, would hate to see it. I'd say it's probably like upwards of probably 36. If he got, if he has that much in dead cap. I, it would I'd have throw. to be if they cut him because they have a ton left on that I'd deal. Throw it. I'd throw it. All right, so there's a potential out in 2023. Um, if he was to be cut this year. Oh. <laughs> if he was to be cut this year, they'd get charged $65 million in dead cap. I said 36, and I was low. Ooh. Now, next year, Ooh. it would be 32. Still 32 next year. And no, ain't no one taking on Jared Goff, giving up assets to trade for this man. It just ain't happening. And the thing that sucks for the Rams, too, is they really don't have any tradable draft assets either. No, they're, they're stuck. They're stuck. They're, unless they want to draft one. Now, if they want to go out and try to draft one and let him, I don't know, let Jared Goff sit there. But who are they going to draft? They don't have a first-rounder this year, do they? Uh, they might not. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on their draft picks, but ew, the Rams are in trouble. But the Packers are also in trouble because speaking of disgruntled quarterback or I guess disgruntled quarterback situation, Aaron Rodgers said today that he won't guarantee that he's back in Green Bay. Which, if you're a Packers fan, you're thinking like, uh, what? Again, well, he it, went on. Well, he went on the. Uh... He went on Pat McAfee's show today and was like, on a, like more than likely I'll be back there. Like he, right. I think well, he said I think, he can't guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people speculated that, which I will say, I think Rogers kind of wanted a little limelight with that with that quote that he made in the post game the other day. Like you don't come into that well, post game conference and and make that statement in the way that he did, and not expect people to talk. Then he gets on Pat McAfee's show today, acting like, oh, they shouldn't do better than that. This like. Dude, you literally acted just like I'm tired of this team, tired of this uh, uh, the organization itself not helping me out. I want out. Like he he did. He acted like. I bet the one thing, the only reason that he's like for sure wanting to stay is David Bakhtiari and him have a pretty good relationship, and him and Devontae Adams are are like best friends. Outside of that, which I forget who said this, but I was watching it the other day and. They said I've been in the, I've been around the NFL for a very long time, and any time I have seen a team, especially trade up for a quarterback for a quarterback's predecessor, the quarterback the veteran quarterback has never stayed, which is which is a good point though. I mean, yeah, if you look at it, I mean, it happened in Green Bay. Well, okay, so the one the one time that it did happen where the veteran quarterback stayed was in New England because Jimmy G was crowned the prince to come and then he got traded for Brady to stay. So, I mean, it has happened. 
the significance here, though, I, there's two telling stories. One, the Green Bay Packers did. They traded up to go get Jordan Love. Number two is, I don't think Jordan Love dressed a, whole, a game all year. Did not dress a single game. So, we're to uh, Trey Roberts. We're, we're going to give a shout-out to Trey Roberts on that because he put it in the hardcore sports group every single game. He said, breaking news, Jordan Love is inactive. So, Shocker. I don't know. That's, that tells two different stories, so I don't know what's going to go on. All I know is Aaron Rodgers is under contract till 2024, and if Green Bay knows what they're doing, they need to uh, make sure that he plays until 2024 at Lambeau Field. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if they let him get out of the building, but I like to see Packers fans squirm about it. It also just so happens that whenever there's a big name – talked about leaving he's always linked to the patriots and i know you guys get pissed about it but rogers is now being linked to the pats stafford linked to the pats i mean if either of those land in the pats lap i'll be just overly excited but i'm sure you feel the same way about stafford or rogers to to indy i mean which right now i'm telling you right now those are going to be the two biggest players in any any quarterback discussion and maybe the 49ers too uh i dude i can't tell you how i think i think matthew stafford needs to make his way to indy i think that i think it needs to happen and chris ballard just has to get it done i i truly do i think they are now reports are coming out that i see bleacher report on there proposing like hypothetical deals of people offering first and second round picks and notice i said first and second round picks that, that's wild like no one's given that first off would not do it i know i wouldn't do it first. i wouldn't give a first i would not give a first now With the pats I, at 15 i would not give up 15 for stafford i wouldn't I, do it i did say the other day in the group when you know me and chick was talking about it um <laughs> At pick 21, and the current state of the roster, I would. I'd give 21. 20, yeah, okay, 21 <laughs> is a bit different than 15, though, because at 15, you're still getting surefire, come onto your team right now and start for a long time, right? That's ideally what 15 should. And once you get past 20, then it's less of a sure thing. No. So then it's like, is Stafford going to make more of an immediate impact than whoever this is? And then that, that argument would be absolutely. like. At Which to point, me too, I, though, to me too, though, like I would give even with twenty one, I would personally give a little extra if I had to outbid someone. If it truly meant I had to outbid somebody, if I could, if I have to throw in another fifth or something, right? I was going to say, but would you give a first and a, even a third? Because I wouldn't do a first and a third. I would uh, do a first and a fourth. First, first and, and a third for sure. Um, I don't think Ballard would even do that. I don't think a lot of smart GMs would do that much. But uh, I recently, I came out and said, I thought a second and a third was the max that you would get out of Matthew Stafford. That I he's think actually, you're probably about right. And I think a second and a third is probably worth it just because you retain that first-round pick. Yeah. And first-round picks are much more valuable than, you know, the oh, latter. Dude, if the Even though GMs can be hit in the second and third. Right. If If – the Pats could trade a second and a third round pick for Stafford. Do that in a heartbeat. 
I would take that all day. It's when you talk about losing 15, anything more. And honestly, even if it was up until 20, I would say don't do it. Once you hit that 20 threshold, then I'm interested. A lot of people are saying that uh, the Niners are going to give, like, pick, what, they have nine? They have 12. Who is number nine? Someone's at number nine. I see him. Is it? I think the Giants have number. This is a top ten pick. Anyway, they had somebody on there giving a top ten pick. I mean, I, guys, I mean, I get it. Matthew Stafford is amazing. I mean, he is. He really is. Future, future Hall of Famer, not even a question. Um, the Broncos have the ninth overall pick, so but, definitely a team yeah, that's that needs a quarterback. Yeah. But but when you talk about a top ten pick in a draft that like this that's coming up, yeah. I mean, this draft that's coming up. I mean, make the no first, mistake, every every draft top ten is going to be blown. Oh, right. But this this draft class, all the way up until twenty, uh, no joke, up until twenty, I think there are at least twenty can't miss players. Like this draft class is loaded, and and someone in the group the other day was saying, "Oh, well, this draft defensively is not that good." This draft defensively is phenomenal at the top end. Like, you have at minimum of three players in the top ten coming on your team and being a cornerstone for the next decade plus easily. And that's who they have the Broncos taken in this Mel Kuyper uh, mock is Mika Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. He's can't miss. He's one of the best linebacker prospects I've seen in the last decade easily. Um. And, you know, this is going to sound weird, but I think all of what you can give as an organization comes down to what your current state looks like. Like, um, not the the Indianapolis Colts at this very moment. I would rather them trade pick 21 than two and three. Me personally. Just knowing the kind of draft route that Ballard is and what I've seen, I would, rather, I would rather give 21, keep the quantity over the quality pick, uh, to kind of entices one, it entices you deal more. It makes the lines kind of like okay, that's the best pick they have. Not they literally have to offer. Uh, they're offering it to us. That entices the deal more. You keep, you know, more picks on your draft capital when you need positions such as cornerback, which are can be definitely found in the second and third rounds. Oh yeah. Uh, left tackle. I mean, wow. uh. Two, I think it's like two of your top five left tackles in the whole draft are projected second rounders. So there's one. Uh, and I, and especially receiver, man. We all know how receiver goes. Hell, you can find receivers all day throughout, yeah. probably all the way to the end of the draft. I think more. receiver is the biggest crapshoot, which this year is crazy too, because like even outside of the first round, like, yeah, you have your big four names, and I'm counting those four, like, I'm counting, um, Pitts as a receiver. But, like, even outside of that, you got someone like Bateman. I mean, there's just so many good receivers this year. So those top four are standing out a bit. But that's why if for some reason Mac Jones falls to the second round, I would love to take I am nervous that the Pats take Mac Jones at 15 because I don't know if he's worth 15. But I think the run of quarterbacks in the top 10 – is going to make it to where they have no choice because he won't make it out of the first round if if all of those yeah. are taken right I know. there. Well, you know, I like Ballard said. Ballard literally said, "I'd be surprised if a if a notable quarterback fell to us during this draft." And Mac Jones has to be a notable name. I mean, I would assume after the I year he had. So. 
I did uh, say so. I saw something today. It was a it was a speech that Brady gave or gave, excuse me, in um in the Michigan locker room a couple years ago, and he was like. You know, I wasn't that highly recruited. I've always had a chip on my shoulder. Everything that I got, I've had to come into Michigan and earn it. He said, and now I love the game even more because I have earned everything and everything wasn't just handed to me. I'm still driven because of that. I think Mac Jones kind of is going to have that same mentality. Like he had to wait at Alabama behind Jalen Hurts, and then they bring in Tua, and he has to wait behind Tua, and he doesn't transfer. He doesn't take the easy way out. He sat and waited his turn, yeah. and he balled out when he got his opportunity. And I, that's scary. I would I would rather yeah. have a quarterback that's driven and has a chip on his shoulder than the one that has the most arm talent. I'm telling yeah. you, there's just something yeah. about a driven quarterback that's scary. And, and you are right. And a lot of people downplay those. I mean, football, the game, is no different than life. It truly is not. There's things that happen within the game of football that you actually learn life lessons from. And just as you alluded to, having to man up, go to school. When you, when you were recruited, I mean, he literally passed up a school in UK that he probably could have went and started – Every the year second after. he's on the on the roster, he's a starting quarterback. Um, Instantly, he, he goes to Alabama because that's where he knew he's like, okay, this is what's going to make me the best absolute football player I can be. And he gets there, and he knows, you know, the pitches to him. Hey, we want you here, but and when he hears that, but a lot of quarterbacks are, oh hell, get the hell out of here. Out Let's of go here. somewhere I don't have to hear a but. He hears the butt, and he literally says, okay, I'm willing to do it. And he works, and he works, and he works. And he wasn't as talented as Tua or Jalen Hurts. Uh, but he he served his time. He comes in when they do need him. He steps up, and you see the year he has. I mean, that, there are correlations to that that, that can even relate to the league. Um, and he, he has the talent. He has the talent to play in the league. I mean, I, that's undeniable. You, I know that college football kind of blows and it don't have much parity uh, as, as overall, but he it's not like he's playing against high schoolers out there anymore. And I know that he has all the weapons in the world. I get that. But if you don't think he's going to have NFL caliber talent in the NFL – I mean, I don't know what what else to tell you. That's true. I mean, the one the one argument is at Alabama, it's not even a like having NFL talent around you. It's like if you're in the NFL, the comparison would be you're the starting quarterback of a Pro Bowl team playing a regular team that has NFL talent, but not the best of the best. That's that's why people get nervous about Alabama quarterbacks. And to this point, it's been fair. Right, I mean. Oh yeah, and uh, McElroy was not good. He was supposed to be amazing in the league. Um, McCarron, same deal. I, I, I hand up. I was big on McCarron. I liked McCarron coming out because he's a winner. I like winners more than just arm talent well, alone. But it, and granted, everyone has every right to be skeptical of Alabama quarterbacks the same way they do of Ohio State quarterbacks. Ohio I State mean, quarterbacks. Yeah. It, it, you just have the right, and you should be. Let's not even say you have the right. You should be skeptical. You should be skeptical. Um, Absolutely. But at the same time, each individual player is that. They're an individual player. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that you have these uh, stereotypes out of what school you come from, depending on what position you play. 
But at the same time, man, everyone's different. Uh, I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to be even good in the league. I'm saying the attitude, the the things he's done to this point, they all look good. Yeah. All he has to do, he has to put the bow on the present whenever the pro day comes, and he has to answer all the questions right, and he'll get his chance. And, and I think he will get it. There's one one quote that always stands out to me, and I, I, I've been thinking about it a lot here recently, actually, and I forget who said it, but they said, scout the player, not the school. To scout mm-hmm. the school is lazy. That means yep. you're not doing your due diligence because, I mean, that's fair. That's definitely fair. I, but, I think that I think that quote, that exact quote, I think plays more into look at your wide receivers that has played out in the last eight, ten years. I mean, right. you're looking some of your greatest receivers in the last decade have been late round picks, sometimes even undrafted free agents out of schools like FIU, uh, Antonio Brown. Where'd he go? Uh, Central Michigan. Yeah. So I mean, you're talking about schools that you were and hell, think about this. Randy Moss in general and freaking Marshall. I mean, the Marshall. Yeah. So well, it's crazy. The wide receiver is the one position where like school really does not matter because if you look objectively, the best three receivers of all time: Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Jerry Rice. Not one major Division One school between the three of them. And those are uh, unanimous best three receivers of all time. Like, if you ask anybody, those are the three. Like, period. Yeah. One went to, went to Mississippi Valley State or something. That's um, Jerry Rice. T.O. went to um, Tennessee Chattanooga. And Randy Moss went to Marshall. Like, that Literally, receivers. Randy Moss went to them, probably the best school out of all three of them. <laughs> right, definitely Marshall. the biggest school. Yeah, definitely the biggest school. Um, no, that is interesting, though. I mean, but what's crazy is, like, even this past weekend, small small school guys didn't really dominate. I mean, let's talk about the, the NFC championship game first. Um, Brady is Brady. That's it. I mean, oh, Brady yeah. is Brady. Mm-hmm. And people are going to bring up the three interceptions. And there was a good meme. It was a funny meme where it said uh, it had Soldier Boy in the background. And it said Jameis when people realized yeah. that Brady threw three touchdowns with three interceptions. He copied my whole flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. But, no, I mean, two of those interceptions were were just not his fault. The one was horrible. The one where he just lobbed it up. That was his fault. That was for sure his fault. But the one across the middle, if you're Mike Evans and you get two hands on a football. Which now he was fully extended. I don't know, man. Like It was definitely a high throw. But if you look, if Brady puts that anywhere else, it's picked. Because he had two underneath defenders and a safety like, over top as well. I feel like it's a little less worse. Uh, it's a little less worse than the Wes Welker take that all Pats fans ever have. Okay. I personally think okay. it was a bad... I personally Wes think... Wilker, do not mention that name. Wes Wilker can die <laughs> for all that I care. I cannot stand Wes Wilker. And, and you might be, and you are probably right. In a sense, in a sense, in a perfect world, um, the ball was probably in a spot, especially in the Wes Wilker one, to where it was had the best chance to not Get picked. Well, the West Welker one, the West Welker one, this man turned the exact wrong way. All right. Now, Ian, like, 
He, did, he turned the wrong way. Brady was getting pressured by one of the best defensive lines ever, period, ever. Got the ball out, and it was not it was not the best throw, but it was catchable. If Les oh, Welker turns yeah. the correct way, it's a catch. He turned the wrong way. You're wanting Wes Welker to, like, do a speed turn like a cornerback. And, and like, God, it's, it's hard. To, it's literally what he threw basically <laughs> was, your, was your regular back shoulder throw. Your normal back shoulder throw today, but he threw it like he was throwing it to Megatron, and everyone thought Wes Welker should have been Megatron. That's what I'm saying. Um, he done all he could, man. When you're five eight, when you're I five eight, I mean, and I think honestly though, Mike Evans, like I said, Mike Evans freaking six three. I mean, this man's got a wingspan too from hell, and I mean, he is literally full on. Fingertips, literally, as far <laughs> as they can go, and everyone's still like, "Oh, he should have caught it." And I, and I know the mantra is, "If you get both hands on it, you gotta catch it." But hell, sometimes the mantra is wrong. I mean, it definitely was a little bit of an overthrow, but you're acting like this man threw it ten feet above him. No, no, I, it's just one of them things. Trust me, it's just one of them things. The ball's not a terrible throw, but it's not on the money. And it's where it's not on the money sometimes as a receiver. Yeah, I got both fingers on it, both fingers from my hands on it, but I could not catch it. And at that time, hey, bad shit happens sometimes. (laughs) Put that on on a t-shirt. Bad bad shit happens. That's why I have Sometimes. It sometimes happens. But now, I mean, mean, let's just say like it is. You can still tell Brady's got it. I mean, from going to play, from, from throwing 40 touchdowns in a regular season to seeing the command he had, just the command. Don't even talk about the throws, the command and stuff that he still has over these offenses and, and the energy that he brings. Oh, yeah. He's still, he still got it. He's a difference maker, man. And that's and I am a, a 100% team guy. Like, no person is bigger than the team. And so I, I will say the one thing that bothered me, and if it would bother me if I was a Bucks player, is at the end of Bruce Arians' postgame interview, they asked him, they said, what does Tom Brady mean to this team? And Bruce Arians said, without him, none of this is possible. And so that, while that is true, you can't say that. Yeah, but at the same time, go back to the regular season. And whenever he was asked all these questions, and he downplayed Brady at that moment, uh, you know, it, so he he's kind of he's done both sides of the of the ball here. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of shit on Brady a little bit to try to keep him there, try to let him know, hey, I'm not playing any favorites. But whenever shit gets real, yeah. And it's acknowledged at some point. You got to reward the dog, right? I I understand that, but like, I guess it's because I'm just. I, and it's maybe it's because I'm a Pats fan, so like I'm only used to Belichick rewarding the team with praise and not necessarily a single player. But I just thought that that was weird because it almost diminishes the hard work of everyone else. Like the Bucks defense played a lot better than I was expecting sure. them to. I and, think at the same time, though, I think they understand that within that locker room. I think they really understand. Like, hey, he thinks that about everybody, but he was right. asked about a specific person. Yeah. That's understandable for sure. I, I did love Brady's comment. I mean, Brady was Brady, and he he when they asked him about about the game and what it meant to go back to the Super Bowl, if it felt any different than when he went with the Pats, he deflected and said the defense played great. They they 
uh, held on to us while we were kind of sputtering out. I mean, that is that is Brady to a T. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he cracked me up whenever they asked him. At, uh, I forget the exact question, but he was he literally his answer was, "Hey, can can we get someone else up here on the mic?" And then he just like, "Hey, Bruce, come on up here." <laughs> kind of just getting me the hell out of here. I'm done with this. Uh, I mean, I, I I still love Brady. I mean, I, I'm definitely not one of the the quote-unquote Patriots fans that like has been ride or die for Brady all year because at the end of the day yeah what you did in New England was amazing but you're not a Patriot anymore and that's that sucks but uh, no I, I will say the Packers did impress me a little bit in their like comeback attempt um, but you have three opportunities right where the Bucks don't score or even after, let's just talk about the two interceptions. You get two picks. You turn Brady over twice late in the game. And you go six pass attempts, two, three and outs following those interceptions. That can't happen. Yeah, and if I am Aaron Rodgers, I would want Matt LaFleur fired because in what world can you justify kicking a field goal down eight with two minutes and 30 seconds left? From the eight-yard line, or actually it might have been even the four-yard line, with Tom Brady as the opposing quarterback. Because right then, you're thinking, oh, well, if we get the ball back, then we score a touchdown instead of tying the game, then we win the game. The issue is, you're not getting the ball back. It just was not going to happen. Yeah. I I don't know. Like, I get that it was the dumber of the two decisions that you could have made. But I, at the same time, I kind of get it. Um, because you know you got you're on the front side of the two minute warning. Uh, you you got all three of your timeouts. You're kicking the field goal to if you do get it back the ball back. You're driving then to win the ball game. So like I mean I get the thinking about it, but to me on third down you're in your you're in uh, Rogers headset saying hey man. Like this is we got them pinned. If we don't get it, they're pinned. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to get them anyway. Uh, right. And guess what? We're this is four down territory. Don't have to force this one in the end zone and start from the eight yard line on fourth down. If you want to get it to the four or three, get to the three or four yard line. Let's go for it on fourth. Right, and that's the thing too is like worst case scenario. Now they're pinned deep, and you win field possession. So if you do get the stop that you need. Yeah. You don't have to drive the full field yeah. to win the game. So, like, yeah. it just didn't make – but the last thing we have to talk about in this game is the sequence right after that. The kickoff, when they kick the field goal, is the dumbest play in NFL history. Oh, oh for yeah. both teams. Immediately. Immediately. One, if you don't kick it out of the end zone there to force the touchback, to guarantee that you get the two-minute warning as an extra timeout, you're the biggest idiot of all time. Yeah. Until then, the Bucks player running it back after not taking the fair catch or or something doesn't slide or, or does slide, excuse me, before the two minute warning. Like yeah. you have to take that down to two minutes. Yeah, like I you mean, just give them to. a free timeout. So it was like this person over here is beating his brain against the wall. He's like, I'm trying my hardest to be the dumbest person alive. Well, then this person starts banging his head and hitting it with a frying pan at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's just a stupid sequence. And, you know, and me and you immediately said that in the group chat. In the group chat, we was like, I cannot believe what I just witnessed. After, after they, and, and 
Great. I mean, after people were already livid about the field goal, I don't even. <laughs> I don't even know if a lot of because I hate to say it like this, but I think a lot of fans are just casuals. So I don't know if a lot of them were thinking that in depth about it. Right. But I don't know. Either way, it was the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. In my I life. mean. Let's start with the Packers kicker. I mean, you literally, you have to force that out of the end zone. Maybe their thinking was, let's pin them deep, and then they have longer to go. And we'll and, but if you're going to do that, go for it on fourth. <laughs> right. But right. I don't know, dude. If that was a coaching decision to tell him not to kick it for a touchback, they need fired if, immediately. Right. If, if that was a coaching decision, Matt LaFleur and the special teams coordinator need strung up on a brick wall uh, and shot. Hey, but one more one more thing about the field goal that I just want to touch on that may be why they, that he did it. First was I saying, you know, if they do get it back, they're driving to win the ball game. Second was, you know, no matter if they scored or not, they still gonna have to convert a two point two point play. And with the efficiency that the Bucks have played all day long in the red zone against the Packers, uh maybe LaFleur thought, okay, I, I feel better about just taking the automatic three and forcing them to give us the ball back rather than even if we did score, even converting the two-point conversion. Like, you know what I mean? I think he saw the extra timeout he could have on the front side of the two minutes and was like, maybe I should just take my three automatically and then let Rodgers do his thing if he gets the ball back. I don't know. That's the only justification, and then even still, it's not a great one. But, yeah. I mean, the amount of bad coaching that we saw on Sunday was just incredible. For it to be a championship Sunday, the amount of bad coaching we saw was insane. Because McDermott absolutely, in my opinion, has no argument for coach of the year anymore after settling for the amount of field goals that he did. First of all, on the first drive of the game, you go for it from their 45-yard line. You say, okay, we're going to go for it here. That makes sense. I love the decision. Immediately in the group chat, I said, that is coaching to win the game instead of coaching to not lose. And that's what you have to do in the playoffs. Well, then he just does 180 and kicks three field goals inside the red zone. The last of which took any opportunity you have to win the game out of your hands. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, it's funny because, of course, my Twitter is, is like a more coach centralized Twitter, but I, I follow all the, this football news from almost every team, and I send everybody on there saying, uh, "So where's all the where's all the criticizers uh, at that that plagued Frank Reich's decisions?" And now you get the opposite in Doug McDermott. You see what happens, like, and or Sean McDermott, bad. but uh, it, and it's true if you think about it, like. That's the one thing I always hate about the the community, the football couch coaching community, is no matter what happens, you oh, should have hindsight, done the opposite. Right. Hindsight yeah. is always twenty twenty. The biggest example of that is the Marshawn from the two-yard line thing. Mm-hmm. Because people always say, oh, well, they didn't make the right decision there. They should have just ran it. Well, they had a favorable matchup. Which, running, granted, which granted, I'm still kind of on the train of dumbass decision on that part. That's just that's just me though. If I got if I got Marshawn Lynch, and it's third down, first off, it is third down. I'm running the football. That's just me though. Well, that's the thing is put eleven people in there. Well, they they now, had right? they had nine people in the box. The two people that weren't in the box were Malcolm Butler and um, Brandon Browner, and that was it. 
Everyone else was in the box at the line of scrimmage. Like the Pats had their goal line defense and what they called their goal line nickel package, which was the fact that like Ernie Adams is the smartest football mind to ever live, but that's beside the point. We're getting off topic anyway, but I hindsight will always take precedence over logic for casual NFL fans. And it's, it's absolutely obnoxious, but how anyone can justify if you want to justify kicking the first two field goals Whatever. By all means, points are better than no points in the playoffs. That's a fact. But the second or the third field goal, excuse me, when you have the opportunity to make it a one possession game, okay, and you then in turn just take points and you turn it from, watch this, Don, ready for this magic. You turn it from a three possession game to then, oh, still a three possession game. It's that's uh, odd, man. But I do want to say this: <clears throat> Chiefs are lucky they had the point lead they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean because they had all the fixings at the end of this ball game that just spelled "Let me blow it, please let me yeah. blow it." And first off, all decisions, all decisions prior to this, just flush them down the toilet. I want to talk about this one. You get the ball and you drive down, you score, and you make it a, a uh, what was it, a 15-point game or something? Because he kicked the extra, or no, it was a 17-point game because he kicked the extra point. And it, what? You go? You have to go for two at that point, right? Right, right. Like, I've never seen anything like that in my life, especially against, to where you know, to where you know, even if you, if you do get the two-point conversion, you, you're going to have to successfully kick two more on sides. Right. When you take the extra point, you're telling, you're literally saying, okay, I think we can get a third one. I think we can get a third one. Right. I, and that's what I was, that's what I meant when I said the third field goal. Not, I, not the, not the, um, whatever. Yeah. The extra point. That's what I was speaking of. But I just like the coaching decisions that we saw just don't make sense. Like there's an old mantra in the NFL. You don't win games kicking field goals. And it's never been more true, especially when you're playing one of the most well-oiled machines of an offense that is that Kansas City offense. That offense is historic. That's one of the best offensive units we have ever seen, period. And you're kicking field goals to try and beat them? You've not successfully stopped them more than two times in a row all game. Yeah, But then you're just going to kick field goals to beat them outright? Come on, man. I mean... I, I, just, I, I cannot put my brain around it. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm going to guess, though, it was a big learning. Because, you know, we talk about it. McDermott, first time he's been there, right? So, <laughs> big learning experience for him. Because I guarantee he will never go back into a situation, into a game like that, and not, you know, be the aggressive play caller. Right, right. It just won't happen. The same way, like... Part of me kind of thinks that he, in his mind, <coughs> he looked back into the wild card weekend at what Frank Wright done against them, and was like, "Look at how it turned out for him. Right. I need to take my points." Right, and that the points came points. back to bite them. Yeah, I, that's yeah, what I see saying. what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I think it's a, just a learning curve, and I think all coaches at, at some point or another learn. Hey, sometimes you just got to grow a sack and go yeah. for it. Yeah. Win or lose, you gave yourself the best chance. That's all you can do. 
no. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, not not to take away anything that the Chiefs did. I mean, obviously they they just performed. I mean, that's what the Chiefs do. You expected Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy to come in with a masterful offensive game plan, and guess what? They yeah. did. Yeah, and, and you just you ain't gonna beat me any teams that put up thirty eight. Just ain't gonna happen. No, it's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. I am. I mean, we'll we'll get into a Super Bowl breakdown, but I think that this is. I, I really was rooting for after Brady won. I was rooting for the Bills to win because I wanted Brady to rip the soul out of Buffalo more than anything because that would have been just beautiful. That like they we're finally away from Brady, and then you play him in the Super Bowl and he beats you again. That would have been just. That would have been a. That would have been I, I, just as a football fan in general. That'd been good. Yeah, that would have been amazing. But I mean, like I said, nothing to take away from the Chiefs. Now, at the end of the game, the Chiefs almost made some really critical errors. I mean, once you start getting chippy with a team that has absolutely nothing to lose, oh, yeah. and you're going on to play the next week, like you're talking about getting suspended, you're talking about getting fined. Like at some that that is also coaching and Andy Reid teams have been known to like lose their composure at times like that though. So I, I, as, as smart as he is offensively, I do think that some of his, his teams lack discipline. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it comes into play a huge part in the, in the Tampa game, but it'll be fun to watch. Um, for sure. hey, and you know, I know we're getting ready to wrap this up, but there's just one other little piece of news story came out of that game that we will definitely will be a piece that we touch on Thursday. Instead today, I just wanted to bring it up, was the Eric Fisher injury. That is going to oh, yeah. play a big part in Thursday's discussion. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually, I mean, I don't really – oh, well, one other piece of news. Um, the Colts did promote their uh, their quarterback coach. What, what's his first name? I know Marcus. his last name is Canada, so Marcus Canada. Uh, wait, they, wait, they, wait, wait, wait. You're talking – you said the Colts, right? Yeah. Marcus Brady. Marcus Brady, that's yep. it. Who was it with the name of Canada? Canada that just got uh, Steelers, I believe. Steelers, Steelers right, yep. He's their QB coach, just got promoted to offensive coordinator. So now Hugh Jackson is now uh, out of that conversation. So, sorry. So two two quarterback coaches got promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, Canada in Pittsburgh got promoted. Uh, and then Marcus Brady in Indy also got promoted. So kind of interesting. I thought for sure there was going to be some big names floated around um, to take those jobs. But two two organizations known for promoting from within uh, and two up and rising head or not yet head coach um, candidates. But they are starting to gain some some uh, traction as far as that is in their near future. So, um, but no, I mean, I, I don't really have anything else to touch on GTD. You got anything else you want to add? Nope. Alrighty, guys, so that'll about wrap us up. Uh, we do have a couple of new shows dropping this week. Uh, I already talked about the hockey show. The college basketball show is finally getting finished this week. I apologize about the delay on that. We've had some scheduling conflicts come up the past couple of weeks to push that back. Um, and then Thursday on this on the next episode of Bros Being Dudes Talking Sports, we got a bunch to talk about. Uh, we're going to go over our favorite Super Bowl memories as a kid. Uh, week leading up to the Super Bowl, we're going to break down all kinds of stuff for you guys as far as Super Bowl history and stuff. So we got some fun things planned. Um, I also finally got back 
uh, my embroidery file. So hats are in production right now. As soon as they are finished, I will have them out and the link available for purchase for you guys. I'm super excited with how they're turning out so far. They look sweet. Uh, so yeah, we'll have those out and ready to go. But uh, with that, keep an ear out for all the new stuff. Keep engaging with the social. Spread the good word. But uh, we will catch you next time. To the game, addicted to the pain of sacrificing matters of the heart just to obtain. Living a life most won't attain, and I know it is essential. But when it comes to love, man, that shit is subsequential. For now, I just be chilling with violence, popping collars, pushing and polish, cutting records and counting dollars. I'm addicted, my lines is cocaine, and when they disperse, blow minds like propane. And you know, these haters that never made it is mad. Cause they never had what we had Addicted to the game and I'm glad On my Amy Winehouse I'm saying fuck rehab
Sinatra. I wouldn't 